0: You are listening to the Teaching Ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. And the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. That is the Christmas story. That is the nativity scene right out of the Gospel of Luke. Now, those who know me, at least even a little bit, know I have a pretty high value for honesty, and I like to bring that honesty into my walk with Jesus. And whenever I come across Luke 2, if I'm being honest and I want to, I have to try really, really hard not to get bored with it. Whether or not you've grown up in the church, this is certainly a part of culture around this time of year anyway, and... I think it would be okay to admit that once we hear this, you know, Luke 2, verses 1 through 20 or 8 through 20, like I just read, we kind of sit back in our chair and it's like, oh, this again. I've heard this before. Not to take away any wonder, not to take any away of the just the how important this is and the theological richness, but we've heard this before. We hear this every single year. And so, you know, I got, to, I got to pick kind of this text when we were planning this series, and I was like, you know what, like, I could, I could tell this thing in my sleep. Uh, most of you probably could as well. And I got thinking, sometimes we just need to hear, you know, old stories or old accounts like this one. We just need to hear in a fresh, new way, or at least from a different perspective, sometimes if we're going to get anything new out of it. So I, I I like doing this. I like kind of looking at things from a different uh, angle anyway. Uh, some of you maybe come across uh, alternate descriptions or alternate summaries of movies. I mean, We're going to get to the Christmas story again here in a little bit. But uh, I've come across, you know, five alternate descriptions of uh, five pretty well-known movies that we can all appreciate. Uh, so we're kind of kind of priming the pump, if you will, for taking a new angle on this Christmas story. So here's a movie, E.T., you know, Spielberg's classic, his masterpiece, an alternate description. An alien creature that looks like a pile of old roast beef secretly hangs out with some children and makes them touch his weird finger. Or <laughs> right, how about the 90, Mighty Ducks, a childhood gem from the 90s for myself. A judge forces a drunk driver to supervise a group of children. Frozen, Have me have seen Frozen? I think, I, I think I'm think i the only one in the world left who has not seen this movie, but here's how it goes. A young girl spends years in solitude and has to plan her parents' funeral alone because her sister is one of the X-Men. Uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, the finale to the book and movie series. A bunch of adults trash a high school because a noseless man believes a kid is better at magic than he is. And here's my absolute favorite, that classic Wizard of Oz Transported to a surreal landscape, a young girl kills the first person she meets and then teens with three strangers to kill again. <laughs> These are our movies. This is what we're spending our childhood and adulthood with. So I was like, okay, I, sometimes maybe we could be some value to doing this with the Christmas story, good old Luke 2. I try to do this once. You know, we all have traditions with our families around Christmas time. On my mother's side, you know, we typically gather uh, Christmas Eve or as close to it as we can. And the tra- tradition is we read Luke 2, the Christmas story. And this responsibility always falls on me because I'm the pastor and the only one who's allowed to communicate with Jesus, right? So I'm like, you know, this year we need to hear this from a different angle. So if you don't know, uh, there's kind of like a behind the scenes or a look from the spiritual realm around this side. If you go to Revelation 12, it is what's going on around in Luke 2, but just kind of behind the scenes, tons of spiritual warfare. And so, you know, everyone gathers around, you all quiet. I'm by the fireplace. You can imagine the scene. I said, we need to hear this from a different angle. And I'm not going to read Revelation 12 because it's too long. We don't have the time for it, but it involves, let's see, um, a woman clothed with the sun and moon beneath her feet. And she has a crown and it involves this great red dragon and angels falling to earth. And it ends very dramatically. It ends this way. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. I finish reading, I close the book, and I look up, and everyone aged 5 to 88 is just dumbstruck. They have no idea what was just read. They're just absolutely silent, jaws open. And then, of course, my mother breaks the silence and says, Okay, Andrew, now read the real one. (laughs) All right, so. We like the real one, so we're going to live in the real one this morning. Uh, But. I do kind of want to inject some of the wonder back into this story. So because it's story time, hopefully kind of having that hear it for the first time thing, I have arranged for a crackling, roaring fireplace. There it is. So whatever you need to do to kind of hear stories and all that, if you're someone who likes to close your eyes and imagine, you can. Just you have to promise to wake up or open them at the end of this. So uh, I've rewritten, um, I've kind of rewritten uh, Luke 2. Uh, kind of bringing in some imagination into it. I've not messed with any theology. all the important stuff is still there. Um, there's no lying going on just kind of kind of uh, painting a broader picture of this. so here's how it goes. It was an uneventful night as most nights watching sheep surely were. The shepherds had a fire going to keep warm as the nights could get quite chilly and they could just get warm enough before they would have to go out on patrol again because sheep need constant attention. Not only are they prone to wander, but also they could easily fall prey to bears or lions or wolves. It was just another night. Nothing special is supposed to happen to shepherds. Herding sheep was a job no one wanted. It doesn't pay well. The hours are terrible. You don't get to spend much time at home, and when you are home, you bring the smell of the farm with you and everything that goes with it. Who knows how many shepherds there were? We don't know. Who knows how large their flocks were? The text doesn't say, and if the text doesn't say, it means it must not be very important. There are no wasted words in Scripture. And much like ordinary nights for us, things were business as usual until all of a sudden, they weren't. Coming out of absolutely nowhere, light, radiance, power, and glory fills the country hills, and it's coming from this magnificent being that these lowly shepherds had never seen before. It was an angel. The shepherds were terrified. Make no mistake, this was not some soft, non-threatening angel. Often, angels are described as having swords and being fierce in appearance. After all, anyone they allow to see them become terrified instantly. Angels always say, don't be afraid before they say hello. And to these shepherds, this terrifying celestial being brings this announcement. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The savior of the world we've all been waiting for has just been born in nearby Bethlehem. And here's how you'll know it's him. He's all swaddled up, lying in a manger, lying in a trough for sheep and goats. And before the shepherds have a, ca- a chance to catch uh, their breath or ask a question, thousands of other holy, radiant, and terrifying celestial beings appear out of the darkness and say together in praise, Glory to God in highest heaven, and peace on earth the men who God is pleased with. And then the army of angels, they fade away, disappear back to heaven where they came from. The shepherds, full of adrenaline and with a unanimous vote, quickly run to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened. And after asking around and peeking in barns and stables all over town, the out-of-breath shepherds find Mary and Joseph, and they find the Savior of the world in a feeding trough, warmly wrapped in cloth. We don't know how long they stayed. We don't know if they asked to hold him. We don't know if they bent over and breathed in to get that new baby smell. We don't know if they talked with Mary and Joseph. And we don't know if the new mom and dad let the shepherds in on what a crazy ride it had been these last nine months what we do know is when the shepherds left they told everybody about their night the angels, the baby, the manger, everything and it's a story we still tell thousands of years later every single year and the Bible said everyone they told were astonished full of awestruck wonder and the shepherds went back to their flocks praising God for everything that happened that night and letting them in on the miraculous and these shepherds, they're never mentioned again But you know for the rest of their lives, whenever they got together, they couldn't help but retell the story saying, hey, remember that time when? There's a retelling of Luke 2. Hopefully there's some more imagination been plugged in for our time So we are in week two of this series called All I Want for Christmas, and several weeks ago when we were kind of planning this as a staff, we realized, you know, it's a busy time, it's always a busy time, there's stress attached, there's busyness, there's hurry attached, and also we all have our Christmas lists. Who who started their shopping already? Maybe some are done. I have not started mine at all. Uh, a, A lady asked me earlier this week, have you started your, have you got your shopping all done? I said, I haven't even started yet, and then she said, typical man, and then I pushed her. I didn't, but I maybe wanted to a little bit. (laughs) But we realized, hey, what if we kind of put together a series, um, kind of a list of things that we're all craving, everything that we would like, but we couldn't buy it, we couldn't find it in stores, we couldn't get it for ourselves, we could only be given to us. So uh, last week, we kicked things off with magnificent joy, and I get this phrase today, awestruck Wonder. And we realize maybe the best way to go about this awestruck wonder, being faithful to the text, is if we kind of look at things, at least initially, from the point of view of these shepherds. Because right off the bat, it's a wonder that they're even included in this at all. Something about the uh, this story, the birth narrative, as it's sometimes called, is some people, they just don't think it's all that important, at least in the grand context of Jesus' entire life and ministry. In fact, of the four gospel writers, you know, we have Matthew and Mark and Luke and John all have their accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. Only Matthew and Luke see fit to even bring up how he came into the world at all. Matthew does this. He's writing to a Jewish audience. Matthew's entire point idea is to convince his Jewish audience that, yes, Jesus is the prophesied Messiah. Everything that had been told about him hundreds of years prior is coming to fruition. It's happening now. And then Luke, he has kind of come up, uh, from a couple of different um, standpoints. Luke is a doctor, so he's, he likes being thorough. He has uh, an eye for detail. And right out in the first verses of his gospel, he says, hey, this is to prove, this is an investigation. This is to prove that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. And so Luke kind of trades his doctor's hat and kind of puts on that private investigator's hat. So he is concerned with the detail, the facts. But also something cool that Luke does throughout his entire gospel is he wants to make clear, he wants to show all of us that Jesus is very inclusive. He cares about the forgotten, the lonely, the outcast, the marginalized, all of that. And the shepherds certainly fall into that camp. One thing I do like about this, certainly there is wonder here, even if we've heard the story many, 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 many times. There's wonder here, but also there can be a great deal of the ordinary there's nothing special about, you know, shepherds or sheep. There's nothing special about, you know, a mom and dad and their newborn kid. So there's some normalcy going on. But also there's obviously the miraculous angels appearing out of nowhere. This a, a miraculous pregnancy on Mary's part. And then these strangers showing up there in the, or, uh, in, the, in, the, in the barn where Mary and Joseph were. Some prophecy going on. So we have this good marriage and intertwining of the miraculous and the normal And Luke is probably doing this on purpose, writing things in such a way. But make no mistake, this entire text has been marinating in wonder ever since it was told, ever since it was written down. And I like this because there are a whole whole bunch of different layers to this story. One thing I like is I like the idea that the shepherds were the very first evangelists for the gospel. They go around telling everybody about the angels and Jesus being born. They're all there, and everyone's astonished. The first evangelists, just ordinary, boring old shepherds. And adding to some more layers. I kind of like looking kind of behind the scenes on any biblical text I go through. And so I kind of imagine in the spiritual realm, you know, this is prophesied, you know, the angels and God, they're kind of gearing up for this. They're getting ready. You know, the angel that appears to the shepherds, you know, he's going over his lines and he's got to check with all the hundreds, maybe thousands of angels around him saying, Hey, this is your cue when you're supposed to show up. We don't want to mess this up. The, it, the energy, the excitement in heaven is palpable. You can just feel it. it is tense. It is exciting because this has been coming for a very, very long time. This has been planned. And it's all coming out, all to this moment of Emmanuel, that God is with us in human flesh on planet Earth. And then I have to wonder, because I'm a wanderer when it comes to Scripture, I have to wonder, why show up to shepherds? Was there a mistake? If I'm planning this, if I'm from God's point of view, if I'm going to make this announcement, I'm probably going to go to kings, queens, heads of state, things like that. But no, he chooses shepherds. I have to wonder why. And I also have to wonder, is there anything to the idea that these shepherds go and visit this child who will one day call himself the good shepherd? And I have to wonder, these shepherds leave their own sheep, they leave their own lambs, and go visit this child who would one day be called the Lamb of God. And I have to wonder, did an angel need to show up, let alone hundreds, even thousands of other angels, the armies of heaven, did they have to show up at all? Probably not. Probably not. But one thing God knows is that there is something to the use of wonder. Wonder takes us out of autopilot and it makes us pay attention. Wonder makes us stop in our tracks. One of my favorite movies, there's a line in there. The line is, the core of man's spirit comes from new experiences. And I tend to believe that most days. You know, planning our own lives, we we crave this sense of wonder, this adrenaline rush. So we go on vacations, you know, places we've never been before, or we dream of going to exotic and foreign locales all over the globe. Uh, we what else do we do? We jump out of planes if we want to, or we buy season tickets for our favorite team, or we climb mountains or we take trips down these raging rivers, all for that kind of rush, or at least a sense of wonder, the sense of awe. One thing that always stops me in my tracks is, um, it's called a murmuration. It's that thing where the birds, you know, a huge flock in the sky, they're flying all over in designs and patterns, just creating these beautiful things. So get this, you know, because that is like the one thing that will make me stop, guaranteed. It does not get old for me. And I got to see two of these this morning already. One on their drive to work, and then one when I got here, I just looked outside my office window, and I got to just experience some awe. And one thing that's cool is, just kind of go along with that, is scientists still don't even know why birds do this. But it's beautiful, and I think it's wonderful. But what about holy wonder? At least for me, that's a natural wonder. It might be holy. I'm not sure yet. But what about holy wonder? The kind of wonder that we see in Luke 2. One thing that holy wonder does is it invites us in. It invites us to take a step closer, kind of lean in to see exactly what is God doing here. How is God trying to get my attention? Especially for those who don't know Jesus yet, what wonder serves to do is kind of invite those outsiders to kind of take a closer look. These shepherds, before this moment, they were likely outsiders. And yet this night of wonder for them, it makes them insiders. Like I said, the first evangelists of the gospel. There's a Greek word, I forget how it's pronounced, I don't have it written down, but it shows up throughout the gospel of Luke a few times where wonder comes in in the life and ministry of Jesus. And this can be translated wonder or amazement or astonishment or marvel. So I decided, hey, let's kind of take a brief tour of where this word for wonder or marveling kind of shows up elsewhere. And what can we learn from um, this marvel, this holy wonder from the life of Jesus, beginning with his birth and ending with the resurrection? But in Luke 4, it's Jesus' kind of first official sermon. He's in the synagogue, and he's kind of bringing the gospel, kind of like, hey, here's why I'm here. People hearing this for the first time. Here's how it goes. Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed. There's that word. Amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. The gospel itself is full of wonder. Especially when you hear it for the first time. Again, because we've heard this before, at least versions of it, some wonder can be lost on us, depending how long we've been with Jesus. But Jesus kind of explains hey, here's why I'm here, right out the gate. Here's what I've come on earth to do. So imagine, if you can, hearing this for the first time the hope that comes with this, the promise that comes with this, the assurance that comes with this. I'm bringing good news to the poor. And that's the spiritually poor, by the way. I'm bringing good news to the poor. Captives will be released. The blind are going to see, the oppressed are going to be set free. The time of the Lord's favor has come. It's here and I'm bringing it. Everyone here was amazed. The gospel itself is wonder. Making a stop and assess, what is my life right now? I I kind of feel disadvantaged in this. I'm someone who grew up going to church, rarely missed a Sunday. So sometimes I can get, uh, maybe jealous is too strong a word, uh, but I'll use it. Uh, I can get jealous of those who maybe come to Jesus later in life or hear the gospel for the first time, or those who can say, I remember when the gospel was clear to me. And I remember that moment when I couldn't say no, it was irresistible, that there's actually hope in this life, that there's actually forgiveness for someone like me. Anyone who has been or been with, has worn those shoes can say, yes, I can trace back and say, yes, that was a wonderful, marvelous, astonishing moment. The gospel itself is wonder. We have other places to go. In Luke 7, a healing story. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to come help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does. They said, for he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. So Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself coming by the house to my home, for I'm not worthy of such an honor. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I'm under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. Even faith is something to be amazed at. There is wonder in faith itself. Anyone, anytime someone decides to put their faith in Jesus, I kind of get this moment of wonder. Anytime I see someone get immersed in this tub over here, I kind of have this moment of awe and like, wow, that really happened. Almost like a point of disbelief. Not that, not, that someone, not that believing in Jesus is foolish or anything, but a, an awe or a wonder or a surprise that faith even exists and this is offered to us to begin with. And that someone can say, yes, I'm denying myself. I'm realizing what kind of person I am, that I'm sinful, that I'm dark, that left my own devices, only evil is going to come out of that, and trusting in Jesus for absolutely everything. Make no mistake, faith is a wonderful attitude, decision, lifestyle. I'm full of awe anytime this happens over here. And I'm full of awe anytime someone can say, I'm clinging to my faith in the face of, of injustice, of unfairness, of tragedy in my life. It is something to marvel at. And it's beautiful. And I think this is something that God uses because wonder is going to get our attention Has anyone just been awestruck by someone else's faith before? Saying, wow, I don't get it, but I want that. There is wonder in faith itself. How about the next chapter in Luke 8? One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon a fierce storm came over or came down on the lake And the boat was filling with water and they were in real danger. The disciples went and woke him up shouting, Master, Master, we are going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. Then he asked them, Where is your faith? The disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man? They asked each other. When he gives a command, even the wind and waves obey him. Something else wonder does, it is highlights God's power and his creativity. Certainly most of us can marvel at anything that has to do with nature, uh, even in natural disasters sometimes, not to take away from tragedy uh, that comes along with that, but just the power of an earthquake, the power of just what wind can do. Or going on maybe on the more pleasant side of things, has anyone just marveled at snow? Just that unblemished snow is coming down just so silently. And it's beautiful. No one said it had to be beautiful. A student and I before church last night. We were looking out the window, and she says to me, "Wow, look at this sunset!" And we did, silently for a few for several seconds. Who said that sunsets had to be beautiful? Where you got these, you know, poinsettias or flowers, just in general, they don't have to smell nice, do they? But they do. A couple nights ago, actually, just last night, I went to Chick Fil A, had dinner, and it was wonderful. Who says that has to be a glorious thing, but it's something to enjoy? Not just on the power, but the creativity, or just, you know, these murmurations that I love. Every single time, it's just a wow. Wonder makes us pause and take a look. Here in Luke 9, another healing story. A man in the crowd called out to Jesus, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, my only child. An evil spirit keeps seizing him, making him scream. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It batters him and hardly ever leaves him alone. I begged your disciples to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you and put up with you? Then he said to the man, bring your son here. As the boy came forward, the demon knocked him to the ground and threw him into a violent convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and healed the boy. Then he gave him back to his father. Awe gripped the people as they saw this majestic display of God's power. While everyone was marveling, there's that word, while everyone was marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Listen to me and remember what I say. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies." Wonder is doing two things here. By the way, in your own study or if ever a miracle is talked about in a book or something said from this stage, anytime a miracle shows up, the point is never the miracle itself. Anytime there's a miracle of healing or restoration, it's always a way of God saying or of Jesus saying, hey, this is miraculous. This is good. This is holy. This is a sneak peek of what your eternity with me can look like. Anytime you see a miracle, signs or wonders, it's always a way of saying, here's a peak. Now imagine this forever. So Jesus uses this here, and everyone's marveling about this, but it also points to God's power. A miracle does, and it can also point to truth. So while everyone is marveling around this, he's using that marvel, this is a display of his own power, to turn to the disciples and say, hey, by the way, you think that's powerful? Now listen to this. I'm not going to be around a whole lot longer. A bigger piece of wonder is coming. In the very last chapter of Luke, Luke 24, Jesus has been resurrected. I think this was the very first text I preached on here at Southwest a few years ago. But it's after, you know, these two guys, these nameless uh, gentlemen, they've been around Jerusalem around the time of the crucifixion, and Jesus has been kind of walking along the road with them. They didn't know it was him. Anyway, he eventually shows up later back in Jerusalem. This is how it reads. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road, and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. Almost sounds like those angels from Luke two. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened? he said, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke he showed them his hands and his feet, and still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Filled with joy and wonder. If there is wonder in nothing else, there is wonder in the resurrection. The wonder of the resurrection is the complete reason why we gather here anyway. With no resurrection, there's no reason to follow Jesus. There's no reason to trust him. There's no reason to put faith in him. There's no reason to have a building like this or to gather on a weekly basis. But there was. Perhaps the most wonderful thing is our Savior conquers death itself. And these disciples, these brethren in this room, yeah, disbelief, I can believe that. But also joy and wonder has consumed them. One of the great things about this time of year is for whatever reason it's easier to experience wonder. We're just kind of in that warm, fuzzy attitude in the month of December. And sometimes we're kind of like the shepherd, especially maybe if we're not as close with Jesus as we might be in the future, kind of has that, oh, wow, this is all super wonderful and surprising. and There's astonishment attached. And we would be lucky to experience that kind of wonder. But we might be even more blessed to be like Mary in Luke 2. See, the shepherds were astonished and everyone they told about this were astonished. The text says that. But it doesn't seem that Mary was all that surprised or astonished herself. Here's verse 18 again. It says, All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Another version puts it this way, but Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. You see, at this point, wonder was just a part of Mary's normal daily existence, at least the previous nine months to a year prior. It was just an everyday thing. Angels appearing, miraculous pregnancy, her relative Elizabeth herself barren and north of 60 becoming pregnant, the Holy Spirit prompting John the Baptist and Elizabeth's womb to kick and move, again, prompting the Holy Spirit when Mary shows up on the doorstep. In a week or two, Roger's gonna bring messages from Joseph's standpoint. He gets a visit from the angel and it's almost miraculous that he kept that engagement with Mary. And also, if Mary wants to keep this up, all she has to do, at least before the birth, is look down and be reminded of, wow, Wonder is real. Here's something cool that she does. There's this word treasured in there. And here's what it means this word treasure means that she was preserving this, that she was replaying this in her mind over and over and over again so as not to forget any of it. We do this with our own, you know, with our children or uh, particularly, you know, favored memories or family traditions or family gatherings. We all have these moments. And while, you know, we have pictures and photos that we can take or have on hand, Mary doesn't have any of this. All she has is her memory. She's preserving this. She does not want this to go away. She keeps replaying over and over and over again. And then it says she ponders, she was pondering these things in her heart. That pondering is, that means she was gathering together, that she was collecting these things, that she was uh, throwing together. Just kind of imagine that junk drawer in your kitchen or that closet full of clothes at home. Just keep throwing things into. The collection is growing. What Mary is doing is she is stockpiling in her heart. She is scrapbooking in her heart. And there's a reason to this when it comes to faith, for the faithful in this room, is because no matter what season we in, because faith typically kind of happens in seasons, sometimes we feel like we're thriving and we're just so as close as Jesus can be and then sometimes tragedy comes in or injustice comes in and then we kind of kind of cling to it it's like, well, how strong is this faith to begin with? It's a moments like this where we need to stockpile, need to preserve or treasure, need to throw together or collect, ponder these things in our heart because sometimes our stockpiling of faith moments, our stockpiling of wonderful moments is what are going to get us through. Uh, The time in my life where God was most evidently and continuously active, at least that I noticed, happened in probably the spring, summer of 2014. And the very, very short version of this is uh, I was in a wonderful ministry, and God called me away from that, and I took a step of faith, resigning, not having any job to, uh, another job to go to, and it was a time of... Confusion. It was a time of pain. It was a time of many tears. It was a time of, I don't even know if I'm going to keep on doing ministry. Just the confusion was was that great. My entire calling was kind of, had a big question mark above that. But along within that time, there were holy conversations with friends and mentors that genuinely made all the difference. And there were holy coincidences that made all the difference. And in that, those moments, there was a, that you know, peace that surpasses all understanding that made all of the difference. Many of us, we felt that peace before. So if ever, like, I'm in a drought, a faith, a faith drought, sometimes what I have to do is say, Andrew, remember 2014. Remember when God moved. Remember when God was active in spite of what life was like for you. Here's what wonder does for us, no matter who we are. And then we're going to do the communion thing here in a couple minutes. One thing is wonder serves to invite and excite people closer to God. That's one thing wonder does for us. And wonder serves to remind us that God is here. More than that, to take from Luke 2 and Matthew 1, is that wonder serves to assure us that Jesus is Emmanuel, that God is with us. Not was, it is a present tense reality. Jesus is Emmanuel. So coupled with that truth and coupled with the wonder, the uh, marvel of the resurrection itself, we do this, we we practice communion every single week. And this is a moment for believers to remember. And this is a moment for uh, believers to treasure some things and ponder some things in our hearts. Certainly kind of gratitude is kind of the theme mostly of this, but also worship is attached and thankfulness is attached. So we're going to have uh, several minutes of just private worship and private gratitude uh, just to remember the moment of sacrifice, the moment where uh, sin was not on us, and that sin was fully on Jesus, and that we are forgiven and that we have these, moments of wonder. We can enjoy that for eternity, if we want to, if we put this wondrous thing called faith in Jesus. But pray with me and then we'll have this moment. Father, I'll just pray this brief but entirely sincere and expectant prayer for uh, for this time, just that we would feel and be reminded and cling to the truth that you are in this moment presently with us. Thank you for listening to Southwest Church Teaching Ministries. We are a community of people committed to following Jesus and making disciples. Please join us for one of our three weekly gatherings. Saturdays at 5.30 p.m., Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11.15 a.m.